All right, well, good morning. Come on, who's excited to be here this morning? Make a little bit of noise, yes. Man, it's so good to see you guys. Thank you for coming out on short notice as we're having one service today here at both of our locations. Thank you guys for jumping in and being part of that today. We want to welcome everybody watching online as well. Thank you so much for tuning in all over the world. Thank you for being part of what God is doing right here in Eastern Kentucky. And today we finished this series called Jonah. I hope the Lord has been using this series uh, in your life. I love preaching through books of the Bibles. I like grabbing a Bible, I mean, a book every now and then in the Bible and preach through it. I just think it's really good for holistically just to study through it like that. I think it's good sometimes for us as a church to go through it together like that. And Jonah's one of my favorite uh, Old Testament uh, books to go through as well. So hopefully God's been using it live. Today we're going to finish up this series with Jonah chapter 4. So grab your Bibles, go with me to Jonah chapter 4. I think there's a message in this story today that all of us need to hear as we end this series in Jonah. So let me do a really quick recap in case you missed the last few weeks. Uh, we, we find this man, this prophet, the man of God, and God says, I want you to go to this great city uh, it's a wicked city, uh, the city of Nineveh. It's actually modern-day Iraq now. So I want you to go there, and I want you to just talk about my, my compassion, and I'm going to, if they don't repent, that I'm going to destroy them, but I have so much compassion on them that I want them to come to know me. Jonah's like, I don't want you to do that. So Jonah disobeys God, and he runs from God. In fact, the Bible says he's heading to Tarshish, which at this point is the furthest known place of the end of the world uh, at this time. So Jonah was literally running to the end of the world to get away from where God wants him to go. If you know the story, God calls the storm to come. The guys threw Jonah overboard and he gets swallowed up by a great fish. And that all happens just in the first chapter one of Jonah. If you missed it, you need to go back and read that story. It's amazing. Jonah chapter two, he's in the fish's belly for three nights and three days. He repents. He runs back to God. He doesn't know God's gonna spare him. He doesn't even know that God's gonna tell him to go a second time to Nineveh. He just repents because if you're in the belly of a fish and you're running from God, you need to repent. Okay, I'll just, this, this help you out there. So he runs back to God. And then last week in Jonah chapter three, we learned that this, the fish vomits him up on shore and God returns to him a second time. And he says, now go to the great city and preach. And wouldn't you, right? Wouldn't you go now, right? God's got your attention. So he goes and he preaches an eight-worded sermon. Could you imagine that? Just a sermon with eight words. And basically this says, turn or burn. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's a judgment series. It's a judgment sermon. He says, God's going to overthrow you if you don't. In the next 40 days, if you, don't give, if you don't come back, if you don't return to him. And from the king all the way to the least, all the way down, the whole entire city of Nineveh repents. The greatest revival ever happened. Scholars believe somewhere as little as 600,000, all the way up to a million people live in this city. The Bible tells it all repented from the king all the way down and turns to God and God relents and he doesn't bring destruction on the city and the man of God gets up and he walks up on top of the hill. And that's what we pick up with our story today in Jonah chapter four. How's it going to end? Is the suspense making you sick, right? How's the story going to end? And how is there a little bit of Jonah in all of us? So we see Jonah, he runs from God, chapter one. Chapter two, he runs to God. Chapter three, we see him running with God and revival takes place. And today I wanna to show you what Jonah missed on this and it's the importance of running for God. How do we run for God at work, at school, and, 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 and our, no matter where we go, no matter where we hang out, to our families, when we go home from work, how do we run for God? Are we running for him 
Are we running away from him? So that's what we're gonna pick up today in Jonah chapter four. If you're ready to get started, say, let's go. Come on, Grayson campus. I can't hear you. Say, let's go. You're not at Grayson, but hey, thanks for cheering for him anyway, right? So here we go. Jonah chapter four, verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Let me stop. Ever been mad at God? Ever been mad at him? God didn't come through the way you thought he should come through. And you blame it on God, you're mad at God. You didn't get the job, you didn't get the scholarship, you didn't get the position, you didn't get the boyfriend, the girlfriend, or the spouse that you thought, you didn't get the situation. Are you ever got mad someone was ill in your family and they passed away and you blame God for it? Maybe you were abused and you blame God for it. Ever been mad at God, like angry at him? Aren't you so glad that God allows things like this in the Bible to show the humanity that here's God's man, the prophet, the preacher. He sees the greatest revival ever, ever. And now he's mad at God. See, I, I, I want you so quickly when you, when you go through, you think, you know, if you're, you gotta be perfect and everything's great. As, as in the day, we know this, right? We mess up, we make mistakes. And here's the man of God. He is mad at God. And you know why he's mad? Because God saved people. Not that God, you know, calls someone, you know, to be in the belly of the fish for three days. Like, okay, I would probably have a little, God, what's up, you know, what's up with this? He's upset because God saved people. Like, that's a pretty bad place to be if you're a preacher, right? I'm just mad because God saved people. Like, I mean, that's a bad place to be. And that's where Jonah is. He is mad because God saved. He didn't destroy the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a very wicked city. And if you missed it, we talked about it. You could do your own research. What they did to people was horrible. They hated the Jews. And, and this, the, the Gentiles, the Syrians, they hated them, hated them, hated them. And they destroyed it, did very bad things to them. And Jonah didn't want God to show compassion on Nineveh and save them. And the reason why he didn't go, because he knew God was a compassionate God and God would save them. And he didn't want God to do that. So now he's mad at God. Verse two, he prayed. This is the second time. First time in the book, he prayed he was in the belly of the fish. Now he prays again the second time. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was in my own country? He said, I knew you would forgive them. Therefore, in order to forestall this, <laughs> I love that. I'm just gonna stall it. So you think you might be stalling, running from God. I'm, I'm gonna try to stall it, but God's will will be done. What God wants to do will happen. In order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, which is the end of the earth at this time. For I knew that you, watch this, watch this. You're gracious. You're compassionate. You're slow to anger. Like God is slow to anger. Some of you think you mess up real quick. You think God's mad at you. You're slow to, you're abundant in your loving kindness. And you're the one who relents concerning calamity. See, a lot of people that read the Old Testament, they don't see God like that. This is God's Old Testament prophet, the preacher. He says, God, you're gracious, man. You're compassionate. You're slow to anger and you have this abundant overflowing of love kindness in your life and, and through how you live and through what you wanna do in people. You see, it's God's will that none should perish but all come to repentance. Do you know that? Even your worst enemy. God wants to see them saved. God wants the worst people that you, you can imagine. You're so mad at. God wants to see them come to repentance. Why? Because he's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in love kindness. Some of you right now, you need to hear that. 
See, some of us right now, we think we can hide from God, we can run from God, God's mad at us, you know, it's like, you know, I, you know, I, I think he loves me and I, I believe that he fully loves me, but I don't know about that one sin, I don't know if he's really, truly forgiven me of that, and you kind of try to hide from it because you mess up or you, you come in on Sunday like, yes, I love Jesus, but then you blow it tomorrow or you blow it after church, <laughs> right, you know, on the way home and you're like, God, do you even love me or do you, am I even saved? God? And he goes, I'm gracious to you. I'm slow to anger towards you. I'm patient towards you. I'm full of this abundant, overflowing love and kindness towards you. Some of you today, you just need to hear that, that that is how God feels about you, that he's slow and he's patient and he loves you. Verse three, therefore, please take my life from me for death is better than me to life. Here's Jonah, he wants to die again. Is this not crazy? This is the man of God. Like, he's like, throw me overboard on the boat. I'm ready to die. I'd rather to die than go to see the Ninevites, to see them all repent. And now he's wanting to die again. Like, this is low. Like, he, you see, he's high, low. He's, high. he's like, God, just go on and take me out. Go on and kill me. Go on and take me to heaven because I didn't want to see Nineveh repent. I didn't want to see you not destroy them. Is that crazy? Like, I'm so glad this is in the Bible. You, you can't make this stuff up. He said, I would rather die because I hate the Ninevites so bad. I would rather die than see you forgive them. But now that you forgive them, I don't want to see the mercy. I don't want to see them repent. I don't want to see the goodness. I don't want to see your blessings upon them. Can you just go on and take me to heaven? Can you just go on and take me to heaven? That's how bad he wanted to see them destroy. And if there's anything here, and, and here's a way to engage it. If there's anyone in your life right now could there be anyone in your life right now that would tick you off if God granted them mercy? If there's anyone right now in your life, someone who hurt you, who wronged you, who walked out on you, if God would grant them mercy towards them, how would that make you feel? And if you're ticked off that God would show his love and his compassion to the person that hurt you, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. So it's easy to point your finger at the man of God, at Jonah, and say, you should know better than that. Well, let's fast forward it to us today. Is there somebody that's hurt you, that wronged you, that would tick you off if you saw God give them mercy, if you saw God bless them, if you would see God restore them? See, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And it lingers around, and God's like, hey, I want you to check your heart. If I'm gonna be that compassionate towards them, would you be that compassionate towards them as well, and for a lot of us, we're like, I ain't ready to be compassionate towards them. And God says, that's why I'm gonna be patient with you. That's why I'm gonna be love kindness towards you. I'm gonna help you get to the point where you're overflowing for compassion for everyone around you, even the person who wronged you. You see how this story even applies to us today? Verse four, the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Let's just stop. Remember the Killjoy series we did before this? There's always something behind your anger. And God knows this. Do you have a reason to be angry at me about this? What are you angry for? There's always something behind anger. Anger is just a secondary emotion. So if you're around people who says, I've just got an anger issue or anger management, they don't need anger management. They need a heart transplant. Something's in their heart. Something is there. When there's anger, something's behind anger all the time. And it's not that, hey, you made me say this. You made me do this. No one can make you do anything. It is your choice to say what you say. It's your choice to act the way that you act. And so there's always something behind your anger. If you're mad, there's something there. God knows. He says, why are you angry? Why are you upset about this? 
Look what he says in verse five. Then Jonah went out from the city and he sat at the east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under the sun until the shade, until he could see what would happen to the city. He was like, man, just in case somebody like goes sideways here and God rains down like he did in Saul Gomorrah and God destroys the city, I'm gonna go back here and I'm gonna get a front row seat, grab some popcorn, flip a little Netflix on, I'm gonna watch God, hopefully he'll come and destroy the city. He's hoping that God would change his mind and actually destroy the city. He's hoping that they would turn back to their wickedness and that God would destroy them. And now he's sitting up on the mountainside just watching, come on God, come on God, come to destroy, rain down fire and brimstone. Like, I mean, literally, this is what he's doing. He is waiting for God to destroy people. Now, you can't make this stuff up, man. It's like, man, the Bible's so boring. No, you're boring. The Bible is not boring. You just got to understand. These stories are amazing. If you like war or love story or passion or mercy, I mean, the Bible is full of this stuff. He's sitting here waiting. God, take them out. God, take them out. God, take them out. And he's going to see what God is going to do. So the Lord, watch this, verse 6. God appointed a plant. God appointed it. And it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from the discomfort. He's discomfort. Why? Because he's in the desert, the hot sun, chitney. God appoints a plant to grow and it grew, fast, it grew fast. And look what happened. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. You're talking about a gourd from the Lord. Here it is right here. This is a gourd from the Lord. And it came over and it protected him. And for the first time in the whole entire book of Jonah, he's happy. Did you see that? He's extremely happy. Like, not only has he got front row to maybe the destruction of the city of Nineveh, he's now been blessed by God allowing this plant to grow over him and shade him from the scorching sun that's beating down on his head, and now he's happy. Like, he's so happy. This is the first time in the Bible that, God, that we see that Jonah's happy. But here's what I want you to understand. Watch this. God appointed the plant. See, if you go back and read through Jonah, look how many times, I don't know what translation you're looking at. God appointed a fish. God appointed a plant. We're about to find out that God appoints a worm and God appoints a wind. Everything in the book of Jonah obeyed God except the man of God. Everybody obeyed. Everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do except the prophet. Is that, not, is that not like us? Like, we're the only thing out of God's creation. We are humans. The only thing out of God's creation that doesn't obey the creator. Now, we do sometimes, right? We'll do little things every now and then. But I'm talking about, like, consistently obey when God wants us to do something, we will do it. When God speaks to us, we believe him and we trust him. And now we see the man of God sitting under the shade. He's extremely happy. And then look what happens, verse seven. This is, this is hilarious. This is so funny. I mean, this is so funny. Look what happens, verse seven. But God appointed a worm. And when the dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant and the plant withered and died. Is that not hilarious? I don't know. Is that not? I, I, you need to pray for me because I'm just weird. I think that's funny, man. Like God is going, hey, what's up? I bring you a plant. Watch this. <laughs> Get a worm. You know what I'm saying? And the worm takes out the plant. And the worm obeys him, like God's creation obeys him. Somebody's like, man, this is the weirdest story. Is this even true? Well, Jesus talks about this story. You believe Jesus? Got up out of the grave three days later? Like Jesus talks about this story. This is one of Jesus' favorite stories. In fact, he referenced himself. He says, just like Jonah was three knots and three days in the belly of the fish, I'm going to be three knots and three days in the belly of the earth. He references the story. 
Like this is one of his favorite stories. And he says the worm comes and it destroys the plant and the plant dies. And then look what happens in verse eight. And when the sun came up, God appointed, we see this all through this, all through the story. God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of him, his soul, to die again. Death is better to me than life. Now, he's wanting to die again. So now the plant is gone and a big heat wave comes and the sun is beating down on the prophet. It's like God's getting his attention. And God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. The faster you can give it to him, maybe you have to avoid a fish or a plant or a worm or the scorching east wind that comes your way. Verse nine, then Jonah, then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? So now Jonah's mad at the plant. And he said, listen to this. Listen to what Jonah says. I have a good reason to be angry even to death. He's so dramatic. He must be the only child. He's probably the only child. Do we have any only children in here, right? right? And you're the only child. You're dramatic. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sorry, I pointed it out to you. Unless you're like the first child or the last child, the middle child's like me, we're fine. We're not dramatic whatsoever. We have no drama whatsoever. If you're a middle child, man, fist bump to you. Way to go, right? Is this not dramatic? He goes, why are you so mad at the plant? Don't I have a right to be mad? I just want to die. Can you see this? Like, this is hilarious, man. This conversation he's having back before with God. And some of you feel like this, like, oh, I swear to God, just going to heaven, right? Just take me on home. Get me off this planet. Get me out of here, right? Have you ever got to this point, like your life is so bad that you're like, I just want to die, just go on. Just take me on home. And then verse 10, then the Lord said, you had compassion. And here it is. Here's where God's trying to get to Jonah's heart and Jonah's being hard-headed here. So Jesus pulls out this illustration for him with the plant and the worm and died in the heat. And look what he says. Look what God says. You had compassion on the plant. The only thing he had compassion for in the entire story was the plant. For which you did not work. You didn't do nothing for the plant. The plant, I'm the one that made it to grow. Which you did not cause to grow. You have no miracle grow. You didn't weed it. You didn't water it. I did all this. Which came up overnight, but then perished the next night. Overnight. And then verse 11, should I, and this is it, should I not have compassion? See, Jonah was upset because of God's compassion to forgive his enemies. Should I have not compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there's almost 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right hand this is my, my left, the right hand, right? The, left, the, right, the right hand wax on and the left hand, right? As well as many animals. And then the Bible stops the story with a question. Like we don't know the rest of the story. Paul Harvey hasn't come through right here. Like we don't know the rest of the story. It ends an open-ended question. And the question is, should I not have compassion? Crickets. It's over. The book of Jonah, thank you for coming. <laughs> I mean, like, and it's over, that's it. Like, wait, you, what, what's, is there a second one, right? Are we gonna have like a sequel here? Like, what do you mean? That's, that's it, that's it. And scholars will believe to lean that when God makes the comment that there's 120,000 people who don't know their left hand is from the right hand, he's actually referencing children. 
The city has 120,000 kids who doesn't even know right or wrong yet. They don't know the left hand from the right hand. They, and you want me to destroy this great city? So if they had about 120,000 kids, that's where scholars believe in, somewhere between 600 to a million people could populate this city based on that text alone, on that part. He goes, if 120,000 kids who don't even know right or wrong are living in this city, why should I not have compassion on them? And then the story ends. And I'm so thankful that God allowed this story to be in the Bible. Because even though this is 2,600 plus or whatever years ago, it still applies to us today. Why? Because there's still a little bit of Jonah in every single one of us. And what I want to share with some final thoughts of closing the entire, you know, series and, and, and today's message is, will we have a heart for Nineveh? Will we show compassion towards Nineveh? Nineveh, you can fill in the blank what you think that might want to be because Jonah hated the city of Nineveh. But will you have a heart for Nineveh? On the surface, there's kind of two problems here. There's this heart for Nineveh that you would say he doesn't have, but the real problem is not that he doesn't love Nineveh, it's that he has no room for God in his own heart. His problem is not Nineveh, his problem is with God who wants to forgive Nineveh. See, most of our problems, if not all of our problems, are God problems. We're, 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 we're anxious about things because we don't trust God. That's a God problem. We worry about things because we don't trust God. That's a God problem. We stress over things like finances and stuff because we don't think God's gonna come through, that God's gonna bless us, and there's a God problem. Most of you, not all of your problems is a God problem. The reason you turn to substance, the reason you turn to porn, the reason you turn to something is because you're trying to feel something in life that only God can feel. There's a God. If you keep tracing all your problems back, you would probably get to the point of going, the problem is not with that. The problem is, is that I don't believe God is blank and you fill in the blank. That God's promises are true. I can't wait to January. We're kicking off a brand new series talking about the promises of God. We have no idea what 2021 holds and nobody should even try to guess that. But I can tell you one thing we can know for sure. We can stand on his promises because his promises are always true no matter what happens in your life. So we're gonna start a year like, we don't know. Hopefully 2020 doesn't repeat itself. But if it does, if it does, and it's gonna go down that way, we're gonna stand on his promises as the people of God. His problem is that he doesn't have room for God in his heart to love the people around him. Because the crazy thing is, God didn't have a problem with Nineveh. Yes, he's bringing judgment. Yes, he saw the wickedness. The problem was with Nineveh. The problem was with the man of God not going to Nineveh to get someone to go there. Nineveh believed the message as soon as he preached it. They were ripe. They were ready. See, the people around you you think are so far from God, they're the ones who are ready for God. That's why they turn to that stuff. That's why I love going on college campus and talking to college students because I didn't get saved until I was a junior in college. And I was the kid that people would look and already give up on like I was just too far gone. Like, there's no way that I could get saved. There's no way that I can get my life saved. There's no way that I can get on track. I was the kid like, man, man, it'd be a miracle for that kid to get saved. That was me. But thanks be to God that someone didn't give up on me. See, the reason why I turned to all the junk and the stuff of my life because I was trying to fulfill a void that only God can fulfill. So the people you think are wicked or far off or are so far from God, they're actually the closest to the kingdom about receiving him. That's why they turn to that stuff because they're looking for something to fulfill the emptiness in their life. And you have that all the way around you. And here's what happened. When we see those things around us, we try to avoid it and stay away from it. 
You can't run from Nineveh. Nineveh's gonna be at work. Nineveh's gonna be in your school place. Nineveh's gonna be in your locker room. Nineveh right now is gonna be at Walmart when you're trying to find toilet paper. Can I get a witness? It's everywhere you go. You can escape Nineveh. The question is not the problem with Nineveh. The problem is with us. Are we willing to go to Nineveh? Are we willing to go to the person over cubicle next to us? Are we willing to go to the coach, the classmate, the roommate? You fill in the blank. See, the problem is not, we always say, God, look at all this wickedness in our world. The world's just being the world. The problem is not the world. See, the problem is not the sinner out there. The problem is the saved sinner in here who won't go out there. That's the problem. And we want to sit around saying the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't even know what that means. I try to Google it, still don't even know what it means. Like the world, like the world's going to hell, stay away from it. That's not, the, the world is not the problem. It's the world. It's only doing what it knows what to do. It's the church who's supposed to stand up and go to Nineveh. And so many people in the church want to stay away from the world instead of going to the world. We want to sit back and talk about the world and how bad it is. But then we won't reach our hand out and bless someone, invite someone, share a testimony with someone, pray for someone. I think there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And when God looks down, he's not saying, well, this is such a wicked world. The country has gone so bad. The country's going like that. I don't know why I've got into that voice when I'm thinking about God talking like that. I have no idea. That's not the problem. The problem is me and you. We become so churched. We try to stay so squeaky clean. Like, just can't get around. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to live it. Bad people. Bad shame on you. Instead of being infused with the Holy Spirit and go right. Jesus says, I didn't take you out of this world. I've left you in the world. Not for you to be a part of the world and to look like the world, but to reach the world. So the problem is not all this wickedness that we see all around us. The problem is when the men of God and the women of God, the children of God, go to Nineveh. Because I'm telling you, the world is right for revival. God is just waiting for people to go who believes it. The reason why it's so wicked, yes, sin entered the world. The reason why it turns that stuff because they are trying to fulfill something that only God can fulfill in their life. You've been there, I've been there. And you knew when you took a drink of that living water, how it changed you. You know what the problem is for most Christians? They've gotten over their salvation. Remember that time when you walked that aisle? Remember when you prayed that prayer? Remember when you gave your life to Jesus? And it's all that burden and that wake and all that junk that God just forgave you of all of that. Don't you remember that? Don't you ever forget that? Because what happens, you begin to take your salvation for granted and you'll say, well, I just hope someone reaches them. Let's just pray for the world. It's just so wicked. When God's saying, I want you to go, that's why I still gave you breath. That's why you still woke up this morning. Yes, I've got a purpose for your life, but I got a bigger purpose for your life. And that is for your generation to reach your generation and for continuing to reach the people that you're alive with right now. Can we reach people after we die? Our legacy and our stories will probably live on in some 
form of fashion and probably two generations away from now, unfortunately, everyone's gonna forget about you. But while you're alive, you make the impact and you set the legacy and you do everything you can while you still have breath. You gotta go to Nineveh. And Nineveh is everywhere around us. The question is, are we willing to go? See, some of you here, you are running from God. Now, you're here, but your heart is. You know that, you're running. Some of you, I'm gonna pray that today you run back to God. That's what Jonah chapter two, run to him. Come on, run to him. He's a kindness, compassionate, abundant, flowing, with love kindness towards you. Come back. Some of you, it's time to start running with God. All right, God, me and you, let's go. We're going to work. You're going with me. We're going to make this happen. We're going to school, locker room, doesn't matter. You're, you're with me. But that will happen when you make the decision, I'm going to start running for God. And that's what Jonah missed, the importance of running for him. We are his ambassador. You know that, don't you? You know what an ambassador is? It represents a higher power. Well, you're ambassador to the president, ambassador to our country. You represent them as if you were speaking on their behalf. That's what an ambassador, you know what the Bible says? We are ambassadors for Jesus. That means everywhere we go, we will get to speak his word on his authority. That we're to represent and people see Christ in us at Cracker Barrel, Black Friday shopping. He's Jesus. At home, when you take your mask off and you had a hard day and you got little kids and they want to watch you, we are his representation. We represent Jesus everywhere we go. So the moment you start pointing your finger like how bad the world is and how wicked the world is, stop for a moment and say, God loves the world. That he sent his only son to save you, to send you into that world. And so really, I'm gonna close this out. They're not gonna be on the screen. Three things, real quickly, that I wanna remind you of this story, remind you of this book that we just went through, and hopefully remind you through the season that we're heading to with the holidays and the things that come. Because some of you, let's just face it, this week you're gonna be around some of your jacked up family if you decide to get with your family. I don't know how many people, I mean, I guess there's like 10 people now you could be with your family, I don't know. Um, some of you are gonna be around some crazy family members. Some of you are like, this is the only time you're around those family members. And you've already made that, I promise I'll keep my mouth shut, right? You've already made that promise to your spouse. I won't say nothing to your mother-in-law. I promise I won't say nothing to her, right? right? You've already made those promises, right? And if you don't, you will for Christmas, just, right? You, 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 know, that, you know it's tough when you go, honey, I want you to be on your best behavior because Johnny's coming. You know, you know what I'm saying? I hate him again, right? You know, right? We all have that, you know, drunk uncle with a new girlfriend this weekend, right? You know, he's coming in, right? It's, it's, come on, am I the only family that's that way? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We're messed up people, right? Jacked up families, we all have them. And we're like, I promise I'll be on my best. This is the year. Why don't you just go and be an ambassador for Jesus and show his love and kindness and grace and compassion and patience towards people? Remember, you represent him everywhere you go. Just a few things, this is observation. What you know is this, just remind you, is this, God loves Nineveh. God loves Nineveh. He loved Nineveh so much, even in all of their wickedness, to show them compassion. God loves Nineveh, and Nineveh is all around us. God loves the world. Where's Nineveh today? It could be your neighbor. It could be their coworker. It could be that boss that you think's a jerk. It could be your coach. It could be your family members that you're gonna meet with this week. 
or in around Christmas holidays. Nineveh is everywhere. Anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and they're all around us. And you gotta get that passion and fervency back to understand that for God so loved the world. Even yet while we, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got saved and realized, okay, I'm good. And then God's like, finally, I'm gonna start loving you. He loved us. Even before he saved us. Don't get over that. God loves Nineveh. Here's the second thing. And this one's a big one. God is willing to do whatever it takes to get you to go there. <laughs> you ever notice that? I'm gonna get you there. I, I encourage you to, you know, to do it on your own. I, I, I'm going to get you there. I may send a storm. I may send the fish. I may send the shade. I may send the worm. I may appoint a scorching east wind. But at the end of the day, my will will be done. See, God wants us to go. and He wants us to do whatever it takes to go to the end of it. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get you in your life to open your eyes to see the importance of going to Nineveh. Because you remember this, the problem wasn't that the people of Nineveh didn't obey. They obeyed as soon as God gave the word. It was us. It was the preacher. It's the people who know God. It's the people who's trying to run for God. They're the ones that didn't have compassion. And God will do whatever it takes to go. God won't make you go against your will because we have a free will. But God will do whatever it takes and two are willingly to go. <laughs> and you finally goes, okay, here I am, send me. All right, I'll, okay, I'll go, I'll go. Finally, God's like, let's go. Let's do this in your life. And then the last thing is this. This one's very important. Is that Nineveh needs you. Do you know that? The wicked world that you talk so bad about needs you. And God has set this up in such a way, it blows me, it blows me away, that he uses messed up, jacked up people like us to go reach a world. They need you. How are they gonna hear if we don't share? How is your family ever gonna see Jesus if you don't represent Jesus? How are they gonna hear about Jesus if you don't invite people to Jesus? It's so easy to get caught up in your own daily life and school and, and work and, and the worries of the world and media and everything. It's so hard to get, it's so easy, it's so caught up in that. And you're like, ah, I'll get that sometime. Or, or somebody will share the gospel with them. Or, hey, that will happen down, you know, down the road. Or I'm just not ready. Or I don't know enough. They need you. The world needs you to go represent Jesus and to show people Jesus all over this region. Now watch this, could you imagine if every single person who calls Better Life Church their home church, let's just speak with this church. I'm not talking about even the big C church, just this church. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Could you imagine the Ninevehs around this region could be completely changed? See, I believe if the revival happened and the whole city got saved, if it happened in here, it could happen in here. Like, I believe that. I truly, truly believe that. 
that when we breathe our last breath, whether we live in Carter County, Round County, or any of the counties around, we have people traveling from 13, 14 counties just to be part of what God's doing at Better Life Church. I believe that when we take our last breath, we'll be able to look back and say, you know what? That city, that place, that school, that environment, that office, it's a little bit better because God used me to bring the light and the hope to a dark area. And what we leave, we pass on to the next generation to continue to take the gospel until Jesus comes back. See, your life is bigger than just your nine to five job, than just your education. Just you trying to work 40, 50 years and make it to retirement. Your life is bigger than that. And he placed you right here in this church, in this region, here today. Like you're not even here by accident today. God knew, God wanted you to be here today so that you would realize that Nineveh is everywhere and he wants to use you. Now, how he uses you, that's between you and the Lord. Ask him, how does he want to use you? But here's what I do know. If you still have breath and you still have life and none of us are promised tomorrow, today he wants to use you. And so my encouragement to you is don't run, be willing. Say, God, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Who can I invite? Who can I share? How can I love on people? How can I be compassionate? How can I represent you to a lost and dying world? And when you do, watch out. Because people will be attracted to your compassion and to your love and to your passion that you have. Like, where does this come from? How, do, how, do, how can you be like this in such a horrible time in our life, in our world? And you'll have an opportunity to share Jesus because it's his peace that surpasses all understanding that leads me to love and to be his hands and his feet. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. If you're here today and you're running from God or if you're watching online and you're running from God, run to him. God's not mad at you, he's mad about you. And as long as you still have breath, there's still hope for you to come home. Come home. How do I do that? Well, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says this, you will be saved. Whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. Why don't you just come home? Say, God, I've blown it. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. Listen, all of us have. And say, God, but it's your loving kindness that leads me to repentance. And today I turn to you and turn from my sin. Now forgive me and use me for the rest of my life. For others in here, you're about to head into Nineveh this week. And instead of talking bad about Nineveh, Start asking God how he can use you to change Nineveh. And I'll let Nineveh be whatever you want to fill in the blank there. Because if we'll have this posture as the children of God, one person preaching an eight-worded sermon and thousands, 
thousands of people came to know Christ. Could you imagine? Hundreds of us going out, loving people, blessing people, being generous to people, caring for people. Can you imagine? Instead of talking bad about our cities, loving on our cities, blessing our cities, helping our cities. Is it a long battle? Absolutely. But there's a verse, there's a word in the Bible that for the last few weeks have really been shaking me. And I was at a conference several years ago and I heard this guy talk about this. He prayed and prayed and prayed for revival and revival hasn't broke out. And someone asked him, why are you still praying for revival? And he said this. He said, because there's a word in the Bible that said, suddenly. Suddenly, the Spirit came. Suddenly, revival came. Suddenly, God manifested himself and revealed himself and people were saved. Imagine hundreds of us going loving on people, loving our cities, and, and all of a sudden, watch this, suddenly, revival could break out. Suddenly, people could begin saved. Why? Because a few people believe God is who He is and wants to use us. You can read through the book of Jonah in about ah, less than 10 minutes. Sometime this week, if you haven't, if you've already listened to all the sermons, just read back through that book and say, God, am I running from you? Am I running towards you? Am I running with you? God, make sure this week I'm gonna be running for you. And ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. You're slow to anger. Your love and kindness abounds and is abundant. And today we receive that mercy that only comes from you. God, help us. Help us. So easy, Lord, to be so distracted and to realize that, Lord, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And I pray today that our eyes will be focused on you, that you would open up the eyes of our heart, that we may see you. And we will see the Nineveh around us, the world around us, because you said, for you so love this world that you sent your son that whoever believes will never perish, will never die, but have everlasting life. And it's my prayer, Father, that every single one of us who have experienced the true freedom of salvation will be the very ones that would represent and invite and share and speak so that everyone around us can experience what we've experienced. And that is complete forgiveness in you. Father, I can't wait to see what you're gonna do in the next weeks to come. We trust you. Even though we have no clue, you are our rock, you are our refuge. Lead God and direct us in all that you have for us, and we will follow you. The answer is yes, Lord. For it's your name we ask and we pray. And everybody say, amen.